Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope Presents, 90s Films Turn 30. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen, and on deck for today's episode, one of my absolute favorites of the 90s. Probably my favorite entry in this entire series. This is going to be a part three, and I believe it's the first time I'm covering a part three in this spinoff series. We'll see if part four makes the cut. That one comes down the line later in 1998, but we'll see, we'll get to it when we get to it. Um, this year we are celebrating 30 years of the year 1992 in movies. And of course I'm talking about Lethal Weapon 3 starring Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Joe Pesci, and specifically added to this installment of the series, Rene Russo. Uh, we're going fast and furious already on this series. You know, I got two episodes in the can already. I just kicked this off uh, late, early in uh, late July. You know, we're now in the middle of August. So I'm going to be putting out episode after episode for this spinoff series, trying to catch up. Uh, I did My Cousin Vinny last week. And the week before, I did Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. You can catch those now on any podcast platform that you listen to. But get ready, folks. I'm ready to dive back into the world of Riggs and Murtaugh. This is Lethal Weapon 3. Enjoy the show. Well, I'm thinking we should cut the blue wire. Hey, wait! What? That's not what I'm thinking. What, do you think maybe the red? No, no. I'm, I'm thinking that it's eight minutes and 42 seconds. We can go upstairs, wait for the bomb squad, and have a cappuccino. I'm cutting the red wire, okay? Help! Oh! What? A minute ago, you said blue. Oh. Nearly a catastrophe, huh? I'm cutting the wire. Skip. See? All done. Rog. Yeah. Grab the cat. Grab the cat. They're back. Lethal Weapon 3. Hiya, Hubie. Hey, we're looking for a friend of yours named Travis. Yeah. I never heard of him. Never heard Wrong answer, wrong answer. Wait, right. wait, I'll leave my car here and I'll come with you. No, you're not coming with us. Yes, I am. I don't take my car now. No, you're yes, not. Yes, I am. I can't believe you did that. I got a spare in the trunk. I'll fix you. Tell my partners. I can't believe they did that. Remain silent. Please, please. I want you to see something, right? She has a gift. What's this? Are you okay, honey? I'm just crazy. At least it's five of them, man. Yeah, I know. My girl. I never made it with another sergeant before. Shut up, Riggs. Hello, car 54, where are you? The only thing they do contribute is mayhem and chaos. Chaos and he's mayhem. You have the right to remain unconscious. Anything you say ain't gonna be much. Back to bed. Back to bed. Alright, here we go. So I know we're talking about part three today, but I just want to give some context. So the Lethal Weapon series started in 1987, but I think we can all agree that the characters of Riggs and Murtaugh became kind of like the standard barrier of like 
the highest of highs that you could do with the buddy cop genre. And I know there's stuff that came before it. You know, you think about 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. Um, Tango and Cash with Sylvester Stallone and, and Kurt Russell, which is one of my also one of my personal favorite buddy cop movies. Um, but I think in terms of, of Lethal Weapon, like they were just like the mega ultra stars. And they were really the standard barrier in the 90s. Like they were the ones like for sure, like when they put a movie out, it was going to make top dollar because the chemistry between Gibson and, and Glover was just undeniable. Now people could say Rush Hour, right? But I consider Rush Hour kind of like it's late 90s, but also that kind of went into the 2000s. So it could kind of claim the title for the next generation. But I think for the 90s, it was all about Lethal Weapon. And yeah, that's uh, – and, and as far as like my early memories of Lethal Weapon, I kind of just can combine them all together. You know, I was born in 86 and the first one was in 87. So obviously I, at some point I had to have watched these on HBO because they ran these religiously. But probably it was whenever, you know, dad made it a blockbuster night and he rented these. And uh, certainly when DVD came into play, uh, those were some of the movies that he ended up buying were the Lethal Weapon movies. So uh, that's how I got introduced to it. I never saw these in a the theater, uh, never had the chance to experience it like that. And I'm sure like... This would probably be one of the ones, like, if they had a special showing, you know, like at a draft house or, you know, if I held a private screening or something like that, this would be one of the movies that I would want to see on the big screen, you know, a big type action, uh, comedy, just, you know, big sets and stuff like that. Um, so those are my early memories of it. And here is the synopsis for Lethal Weapon 3 as given to us by BoxOfficeMojo.com. And that is powered by IMDb Pro. And again, I look at IMDb for anything when it comes to movies. Like whoever's, uh, if you're not familiar with somebody in the movie and you want to know who they are, check out the cast list. They got all that. You know, soundtracks, trivia, goofs, you know, anything that you want to know about a movie, you can find on IMDb. So I suggest downloading that app, folks, because it becomes super handy when you're watching movies. Even as, as, uh, big of a movie buff as I am, I still, Use it as a guide. So anyways, here's a synopsis. Martin Riggs and Roger Murtaugh pursue a former LAPD officer who uses his knowledge of police procedure and policies to steal and sell confiscated guns and ammunition to local street gangs. Now, the only thing I would change in the wording of this, because this is pretty much what the movie's about, um, instead of like just regular guns, I would change it to assault rifles and stuff like that, because that's really where the movie gets real serious and kind of like it's still timely today, you know, not, not to get too like into that stuff, uh, because this is, you know, this is an entertainment show. We're talking about movies. Um, but yes, there's still a lot of gun violence and, you know, mass shootings and all that stuff. And it usually deals with, uh, you know, regular civilians, mainly younger, the younger generation getting easy access to these assault rifles. And this movie, tackles it it gets serious in some parts but i mean for the most part it's an action comedy so the tone is kind of like imbalanced as far as like it being like taking on the subject matter in a very serious matter before switching over to comedy but still is very timely so it's a movie i think that could still work today so uh, i'll talk about that later at the very end when we ask the question on whether or not in the 30 years that it's been released has it aged well so that's the synopsis. Again, that's the only thing I would change. That's basically what the movie is. And let's get into uh, 
couple of technicalities here. Let's talk about the box office of this movie. So, uh, like I said, the Lethal Weapon series was like the, the major blockbuster hit in terms of action buddy cop like that. They had that nailed down. Like by the second movie, which was released, I think, in 1989, like they just had that completely just perfected. And by the time Lethal Weapon 3 came out just a few years later, like the anticipation was really high. And you can tell right away with a budget of 35 million, uh, the opening was 33 million. So right away, this movie's already gonna make its money back. So 33 million in 1992 is a huge opening. You know, in, if you look at that in 2022, that's nothing. You know, even something like Bullet Train, which just opened last week with Brad Pitt, that opened to 30 million. Now that opened in the 90s, that'd be like gigantic numbers. But, you know, looking in hindsight, Lethal Weapon 3 during its time, 33 million, smash it. It was number one at the box office by far, opened on May 15th, 1992. Um, it was number one by a mile. The second movie behind it was Basic Instinct, which was already out for like nine weeks. So uh, the audiences were craving something huge for the summer. And I think this was probably the start of the summer season, you know. Um, you know, right in the middle of May, now, th- these days, you know, the summer movie season usually kicks off, like, last weekend of April, you know, with Marvel in the mix, uh, or they take, like, the first weekend in May. But this is kind of like the start of the summer movie season, and why not kick it off with Mel Gibson and Danny Glover? And, of course, Mel Gibson, out of this, just everybody in this cast, is just the giant movie star in this in this franchise and in the world. Um you know, Glover is very well known. Pesci too, uh, Renee Russo too. You know, she makes her stamp in other movies in the '90s. But we cannot deny that Mel Gibson is the biggest star in this franchise, and that's attributes to why the series continued to get very popular as it ran its course all the way up to 1998. So, opening up to 33 million. So, how did the movie do overall? Well, domestically, it grossed 144 million. Um, worldwide, it did, uh, 177, or actually I should say just overseas, it did 177 million. Again, Mel Gibson is a huge star, and just Lethal Weapon became super global. And worldwide, it, it made a total gross of about 321 million. This is, uh, great numbers, especially for a part three, right? You know, as the, the barrier gets, you know, up and up and up for the, for movies like this. Usually part threes is where it could take a turn, but if you've got strong movie stars and uh, you've got good storytelling, good characters, you know, people are going to come back and, and, and pay money for these movies, regardless of the fact. Now, in terms of, you know, grading these on a scale, like, I'm not here to grade all the movies, but it's safe to say part one and part two are probably better in terms of storytelling, but the reason why I love Lethal Weapon 3 so much and we can kind of almost get into the things that I liked about this movie, but I'll tease it a little bit, is the the reason why Lethal Weapon 3 works for me so much is because you're already so deep into the relationship of Martin Riggs and Roger Murtaugh that their banter is just unbelievably... Like, it looks like they're just ad-libbing the entire movie, but that's just how good they are together. And the movie works like that. It's super fun because of it. But that's a little tease. We'll get into that in just a bit. Um, so those are those are the box office numbers for that, just... Completely knocked out of the park, home run, you know, one of the, I think it was either the third highest grossing movie of 1992, 
so definitely up there. This was just an overall box office success. Now, when it comes to the critical reception of this movie, um, again, I look to guys like Roger Ebert and Siskel, uh, Gene Siskel, uh, who were the standard movie critics that you would see plastered all over commercials for TV ads and, you know, posters and you know if you for the for you youngins we used to have a blockbuster where you would rent your movies you know now we have netflix so you don't even see any critics or whatever you make your own ratings but you know back when you would go to blockbuster you would see if a movie was received well you would see uh cisco and ebert and their patented two thumbs up uh plastered all over the box in the marketing um they were split on this movie um I'm, I'm not surprised, you know, even though it is my favorite of the series. Um, Siskel, uh, he, he talked about this thing where I forgot who he name dropped, where he's like, well, what makes a good movie? And he said, it's like a movie's got to have like three good scenes and like not any bad ones. Uh, but he said this movie only had like one good scene to him and, you know, he didn't like the villains. He thought Joe Pesci was not funny. He thought the, the Riggs and Murtaugh act was a little worn out. And I like to see when people get into a good debate. And finally, I got into a good uh, set here with Ebert and Siskel kind of going at it. Ebert obviously saw the movie completely different. He said, what are you talking about? There's like plenty of good scenes in this movie. Uh, agreed with him that the villains were bad. I kind of agree with both of them there. Like the villains are not very strong as opposed to like whatever you've seen before. And then even afterwards, uh, Jet Li was a step up in 1998. Um so I agree with that, but I like to see them like disagree with each other, but they're disagreeing in a way where they're just trying to point out why they feel how they feel about the movies. And I respect that kind of criticism as opposed to just saying, ah, the movie sucked or the movie's just, the movie was sick, man. It was fire. Um, you know, just, you know, give some depth, give some context. So, uh, they were split on it. I completely can see it from Cisco's point of view, but I'm also biased to this series. So, I was rooting on Ebert when he was giving it to Siskel and telling him, like, what are you talking about? This movie's got plenty of good stuff in it. Um, now let's look to Rotten Tomatoes. And it's another site that I use. And not for the end-all, be-all, but just to see what critics are thinking about the movie and what the audience is thinking as well. So this was rated a 58% by the critics. And this is with a total of, like, 48 reviews. Now... If you're doing this movie in 2022, you're getting over like 150 reviews. So maybe the number might be a little higher, might be even worse. But 58%'s not the worst, but according to this website, it's considered rotten. And you know, it's got the little splat logo. Uh, but I think if it had, if it had hidden like a 60%, it would have gotten the the fresh tomato. So I don't know. It's weird how this thing works because uh, the rating is not always significant of how the critics are thinking about the movie because you can see. Some reviews get posted as negative, but you'll see a lot of positive in it. So I don't know. The algorithm's weird for, for this stuff, but I guess it's, I can look at it and kind of gauge a little bit of what they're thinking. So they're kind of like, they look a little split here, but you know, for the most part, there was a lot of negative. Um, the audience has it rated at a 61%. So they saw it a little bit better than, than what the critics thought of it. Uh, and, of course, the box office numbers speak for themselves. Uh, people were going to go back and see Riggs and Murtaugh regardless of whether the movie was as strong as the previous entries. But I think you get a lot. I think people would enjoy this one more than the other two in, in today's day and age just because there's a lot more of the comedy and the shtick and, and the banter. 
for as like part one and two has that, but they're kind of taken a little bit more serious. And, and obviously the series lightens up even more to like the nth degree by the time we get to part four. But I think audiences would probably, probably respond better to this one today than like if they tried to do like the first two in 2022. Um, so that, that audience score is out of a hundred thousand plus ratings. So I think for the most part, people like it. And, um, you know, I haven't had really had this discussion with friends on, on what they think about the Lethal Weapon series, so I'll have to get more insight on that into like whether or not they've seen it and which ones are their favorite to watch. Um, but here's here's the consensus given to us on Rotten Tomatoes for Lethal Weapon Three. It says Murton Riggs remain an appealing partnership, but Lethal Weapon Three struggles to give them a worthy new adventure as it cranks up the camp along with mean with the mean spiritedness. Now, I don't understand the mean spirited spiritedness of it because, I mean, it gets kind of serious when it when it gets to uh, the assault rifle stuff and and how it affects Murtaugh in a certain situation. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But I mean, I I mean they're kind of like assholes to the Joe Pesci character, but that's kind of like a running gag throughout that entire series. But you know, it's kind of like the little brother syndrome, you know, where. You know, you're you're kind of like a little bully, but you know, deep down, you really care. So I don't, I don't really get that mean spiritedness of the movie because it, you know, it's about partnership, it's about new relationships, especially the one between Gibson and Russo. Um, it's about family. So I don't, I don't know, I don't understand that part of it, but you know, to each their own. Um, all right, and that's the box office of it, and that's the critical reception of it all. Now I want to get into the things that I absolutely loved about Lethal Weapon 3 and what makes it my favorite in this uh, series. So first off, more than the Riggs... I can start off with Riggs and Murtaugh, right? But what really stands out for this movie is when a certain like alpha like meets their match. And especially with someone like Martin Riggs, who's like just my absolute favorite cop in like all movies. like Just in the way that he... In fights is very street level like, you know, his intensity, like if he's, he, he really wants to get a bad guy or if it pisses him off, like he just goes on this, like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this guy. I'm gonna rip his eyes out. It's like, man, that's exactly how I would act as a cop. Like if I was like, you know, in that situation, you know, just, just having that passion and intensity, but also being like super funny and just very, very loyal as a partner. So in this movie, so first off, it opens off awesome. You know, I want to give some context here before I get into it. So the movie opens awesome, right? They usually do these movies open up with like a little like kind of like mission of the week type thing or just something that they get into. <laughs> so this movie opens up with Riggs and Murtaugh showing up to this building. And supposedly like there's this bomb threat that's been made. And, you know, there are all the cops and everybody else are waiting for the bomb squad to show up. And, of course, Martin Riggs has to be martin riggs and it's like hey let's go check this thing out you know it's whatever it may not be it's probably not a bomb or whatever like come on Murtaugh, let's just like just go check it out and then of course you get the classic gibson and glover just going at it and you know they end up going inside you know Murtaugh's all like nervous as shit and they mess with the bomb and they're bantering and it turns out gibson ends up setting off the bomb and it blows up the entire building so because of that they're put on restrictive duty and they're basically back to being like patrol cops. So I think they were sergeants at this point in the movie, but they get put as patrol cops. And Murtaugh is like a couple of days from retirement. So they're dealing with that. 
and they deal with this other situation really quickly, and that escalates into what the movie's about, and that is that an ex-cop by the name of Jack Tavern is running a bunch of assault, stolen assault weapons from the police station because he's a former cop, and he uses all his tactics to get those guns and get them back out on the street and, and sold to gangs and all that stuff, as I mentioned in the synopsis. And, but that's where the Rene Russo character comes in because she's working with internal affairs. And just, my God, she just equals Mel Gibson in terms of charisma. And, you know, you don't, they don't really, you know, this movie was kind of ahead of its time if you think about it. Because nowadays, you know, they, they want to put like these equal female characters, strong, independent women, right? And that's all good, but I, I love it when they do that, when they don't have to shove it in your face and tell you that. And, you know, this movie came out in 1992, so this was way ahead of it. And the Rene Russo character is super treated as an equal, and they don't have to tell you that she's a woman or whatever, and, you know, she's kicking ass, and, you know, she's she's bantering and cussing just like Mel Gibson, and, you know, it makes for a good equal, you know. I compare it to, like, uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation when they introduced um, Rebecca Ferguson and she was an equal to Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt, and it was not. It didn't have to explain that she was a woman or anything like that. She just wasn't an equal. Like, and that's the way it should be, right? Like in movies, if you're gonna do this type of thing, like it should just come naturally and and feel authentic. And Renee Russo comes off completely authentic in the in the way she banter's with Gibson and the way she kicks ass, and it's believable. It's not like oh my god, they're doing it just to you know please the female audience. Like no, she's a total equal and it works and she's she's one of the best additions to this series and uh that's probably why it's my favorite she comes out in part four as well but i don't think she gets to really be the same character that she was in this one but of course there's reason for that but i'll get into that if that movie makes the cut later down the line but here she's completely awesome and that's my first thing that i love about this movie is uh her and gibson's dynamic and then there's a tremendous scene between both of them where it's been spoofed in like different movies. I think like in Hot Shots or something like it was Hot Shots or I forgot what what movie it was where they spoofed this scene exactly. Um, they're revealing to each other like all these different wounds that they've gotten like through combat and you know being on duty, and it's such like a, a very well done like sexual tension type scene without having to do all the the sex. Even though this is a rated R movie, they probably could have done a sex scene, but. They did this scene instead, and it just builds up the angst, and you're like, you want them to get together because they're just, they're the the exact same. But uh, I thought that was a well done scene, and, and it was one of the scenes that uh, Ebert and Siskel talked about, where they were like, yeah, like that was one of the the really really good scenes in the movie. So I 100% agree with them there. And again, Gibson and Russo are perfect together, and they did another movie later on in the '90s, other than Lethal Weapon Four. Um, and that one probably is going to make this list, but I won't reveal it just yet. So that's my first thing about it. Second thing is, uh, you know, again, Riggs and Murtaugh, I mentioned it, like they're just the standard barrier of buddy cop. Like that's what you're looking to if you're going to make these movies. And you've seen this dynamic like years on, you know, I can point back to what was it, 2013. There was a movie that came out called Two Guns, and it starred Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg. And it had that same, like, lethal weapon dynamic, you know? Just that the, the witty banter and, you know, just quick-witted, like, just back and forth, love-hate. 
Um, so they've just mastered that perfectly. And again, they're just nobody better than those two. Now, do I think like it could be done like again? Like, yeah, I'd love to see these movies get made again. I can't even remember the last time I saw a buddy cop movie on the big screen. Might have been two guns because I think everything else hits Netflix and I couldn't tell you a lick of what kind of buddy cop movies are on Netflix because, you know, I just, I don't buy into those. They're just, it's just pieces of content on there. Like for me, the big screen is where it should be. And I think these movies can, can make a comeback, hopefully, because we don't really see them anymore on the big screen. And the third thing that I, I guess I'm going to nitpick it a little bit here just to be fair and, and criticize it. You know, it's kind of all over the place, but you know, it doesn't bother me too much because Gibson and, and Glover really, and Russo as well, like they just take over the movie. So it doesn't take away too much, but the tone and the, everything goes like everywhere at so many different times in this movie. Like for example, um, so there's a scene where Gibson gets, um, gets into it with one of the gangs and they get into this gunfire thing with, with Glover ends up having to save Gibson and he shoots one of the kids who has the assault rifles. And it turns out that the kid was a friend of his son's. And so he gets really like broken up about it. You know, even though like that kid was in the wrong, right? He had an assault weapon. He was going to kill Riggs, Murtaugh and anybody else that got in the way. So like, you know, Murtaugh did the right thing, but he's all broken up about it. And, you know, just depressed and, you know, turns to alcohol and all that stuff. But sandwiched in between like that and then like then getting to like the climax of the movie is like they throw in like comedy bits with Murtaugh as well. And I'm like, dude, like this was like a really serious thing that happened. And there's even like this really serious like funeral scene that happens for that kid. And it just feels like a, a completely different movie at times, like just by the way it's cut. Um, but again, you know, and, and I can see why that be maybe a reason people didn't like the movie or the critics may not have liked it. But again, to me, the performances are too strong and, and, you know, the movie moves pretty rapidly, you know, it's under two hours. So it doesn't really waste too much time by doing a lot of the shtick, like it cuts it real quick, but I just wanted to nitpick that it is, does go back and forth a little bit. And it's like, okay, even the beginning, like when they're patrolmen, like it, some of the scenes, like, just, like, it doesn't make sense why it's there, but, you know, it is what it is. It's it's the 90s, you know, movies get better as they go, you know. Even today, like, I don't think they would waste any time uh, doing, you know, cutting the tone. It would all just be either one or, or the other. So, 90s, it's, it was a weird time, but also a very, very fun time at the movies. But, again, this, it's just a super small nitpick. I just wanted to be fair to it. But for the most part, this movie is like a total thumbs up for me. And and to me, it's still my favorite of the series as I've done my rewatch. Because I've, I've rewatched the other ones really closely together. Uh, I didn't just rewatch three and forget about the other ones. You know, I just wanted something in context just to say definitively if this one is my favorite. And I think it is. And it's mostly because of the dynamics between Riggs Murtaugh and then Russo's character of Lorna Cole and, and, and Riggs. Um, so yeah, those are, those are my three things about the movie. Um, I'm not going to get into casting, recasting this thing. Cause I think it's just perfect. Yeah. You could get actors from today and put them in there. You could throw in like, a, 
you know, a Christian Bale. Maybe I'd like to see Christian Bale in something like this and just get somebody opposite of him. Or you could go younger. You know, you could do someone like a Michael B. Jordan and maybe get a Miles Teller. You know, I think I think they always had good chemistry. Put them in a Lethal Weapon style type movie. I think you could get some magic there. Um, but I, I really didn't. I didn't really think to it. Think think on it too much, just because I think Gibson and Glover are perfect, and, and they're absolute magic every time they're on the screen. And there's rumors that there may be a Lethal Weapon five, and I know Richard Donner has passed away, and they said maybe Mel Gibson would be the one to direct it, and he's a really good director. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. Like, would this be one of those situations where where it'd be like, oh, too much time has passed, like there's just no need for it, or it could be something special and uh, you know, kind of like a a one-off, once-in-a-lifetime thing, kind of like super different from what they've done. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if that happens. Um, now let's talk about whether this movie in 2022, or just this series in general, whether it would be a streaming release or would it be a theatrical release. Now, the answer's kind of already been given to me, so... They did a series on Lethal Weapon, and it aired on the Fox Network a couple of years ago. Ran for a couple of seasons, and I saw some of it, and it was it was all right, but it just didn't have that rawness that the movies had, and that's where you get restrained on TV, especially if you're on network TV. Uh, so that didn't really work, but that's probably how it would be done today. It would probably be made into a a Netflix ten episodes series or on Amazon or whatever I don't think it would get the chance to be a movie or if it did it would just be on Netflix because I, I know there's been plenty of like you know two-handed like I don't know if they're necessarily like buddy action comedy movies you know I've seen a couple with like Kevin Hart and you know Woody Harrelson you know and Mark Wahlberg's gone in the mix there too as well so that's probably where it would end up and I think you would need like two really big stars to get it into like a theatrical release so you would need like a DiCaprio or a Brad Pitt you know just people of that caliber that are kind of left where you could do something like this and release it to the mass audience and be like oh wow like yeah that's definitely something I want to see um you know on the big screen um they've even done it with the females you know there was one called The Heat that came out with Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy that one was pretty pretty funny and well made so, you know, you can even, I would like to see, like, uh, the way Mel Gibson and Rene Russo's character, you know, they, those are two types of characters that they could have their own movie. So get something like that, mix it up, put a male and a female in that role, you know. I'd like to see, you know, like, uh, I don't know, whatever, Jennifer Lawrence and, you know, Glenn Powell, whatever, you know, get, get them in and, and do like, make, just flip it, like, just, switch up the genre like just do there's something that you can do just to put it on the big screen not a streamer but put it on the big screen but i think just in terms of reality and where we're at right now yeah this would be put onto a streamer and it it would just be lost as a piece of content and unfortunately that's the sad state of where i think streaming is um because i still think the future is still if you want your movie to maximize and get the most exposure and make the most money you have to put it on the big screen um so yeah and finally has this movie aged in the 30 years that it's been released now 
you can talk about the um, the issue of the the assault weapons in this movie. Um, I'm sure if you tweaked it in 2022, you can probably put a bigger emphasis on that point, and really, you can probably extend this movie by like another 20, 30 minutes and make it a two and a half hour, like really like crime epic trying to get into this because in the, when it gets to the third act, like that's where like, like, damn, like I, I kind of wish this movie would have been like this from the jump start, you know, cause it's really intense. You know, there, when, uh, the funeral scene happens, when they're there for that kid that Murtaugh killed, who was, had the assault rifle, you know, the mother slaps him around and the father's like, you know what you could do, Murtaugh? You can get that son of a bitch that like sold my kid the gun. And then they go on this huge, it's a small like little hunt, but like, you know, Murtaugh's got that gun that that kid had and he's using that to threaten these other people into telling them like, where can I find these assault rifles that are being sold to the, these gangs and these kids? Like, lead me to them. So I think if there was a good chunk of where the movie was that, and cause this really happens like in the last like, 20 15 20 minutes probably and it gets wrapped up pretty quickly because again this movie's like right under two hours so you know i think that's where it could you could have extended that a bit more um but just because of, of how good gibson and and glover are and pesci even though pesci's this is probably his weakest entry in the lethal weapon series um doesn't really have much to do you know go back and watch the my cousin Vinny. like that's where he really shines here he's kind of like in the background and afterthought, but he's a, he's a better supporting character in part two and then in part four. Uh, here he's kind of just there, um, but in twenty twenty two, I think it'll it would still play strongly and with audiences. Um, I think you would probably have more discourse on the the assault rifle stuff, whether like oh they don't take it too serious or they don't cover it enough or they could have done more with this. And but again, this is the early nineties. And for the most part, it, I mean, all movies are popcorn movies, right? But this is really just for entertainment. And I don't really think they wanted to get real deep with it. Now, if this was like a, a plot line in the first two Lethal Weapon movies. Like, yeah, for sure, they could have dived more into it and, and gotten more serious with it. But they keep the lightheartedness fun. And I, the third act is really fun in the in the construction site where they're just blowing shit to pieces with gasoline and bombs and all this stuff it, it's it's really fun movie so for me yes it's aged well in the 30 years but i'm a little biased so maybe you might say hey palace like no like your opinion doesn't count on this one but this is my show uh, and yes i'm gonna say yes it does age in the 30 years that it's been released and what was it may 15th 1992 yeah i know we're in august now but we're still celebrating 30 years of lethal weapon 3 being released and yeah, that's gonna that's gonna do it. Thanks for tuning in today. This is this is one of my favorites. Um, I can always rewatch this. I can rewatch the whole series, but if you had if you told me to pick one of my favorites out of the whole bunch, it's gonna be this one. And I detailed it for you all uh, earlier. So that's that, man. That's how I feel. You can't change my mind. That's going to do it for this episode. Again, I'm going fast and furious with this thing, so there's going to be episodes coming out, uh, maybe multiple during uh, the weeks as we continue on and finish off 2022, and we finish off the 30th anniversary of 1992. Still a couple of really fun ones uh, to come. 
I've got a couple of guests for certain movies, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And you can follow this podcast and all the past episodes of 90s Films Turn 30 by going to Spotify. You can search Palace Off the Top Rope. Hit that follow button. I do share this podcast link through my social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through podbean.com. You can download the app. You can listen on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Apple person, subscribe and give me the five-star reviews. I would greatly appreciate it. This has been the 90s Films Turn 30. Thank you for tuning in this week. God bless you, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Lethal Weapon 3 is the one to be. More fun than the first. No, no. Funnier, faster, and feistier than ever. The most entertaining weapon yet. Don't touch anything. See the summer's biggest smash. Lethal Weapon 3. Now playing at a theater near you.